And uh, I just kind of to start off to preface it is I, I've been kind of falling behind on this, but I actually need to do a sermon um, for Calvin Seminary. Um, there's two sermons that need to be graded. And uh, one came from the passage that we're going to talk about today, Romans 3, 21 to 34. So actually, this sermon's going to be graded, um, not by you, but by whoever does it at Calvin Seminary. I'm not quite sure. So maybe John Rotman or Jeff Wyma or um, somebody over there. Um, nevertheless, that's just kind of an intro. Um, so before you start, darling, if I need your advice. I'll ask for it. And short time later, I kind of added, my darling, later on in the car, the wife says to the husband, my darling, if you would have took my advice, you wouldn't have had to go to the hospital with a broken leg and to get stitches. You see, a wise husband knows to listen to their spouse, especially if they're going to do something dangerous. Unfortunately, many's gonna, many are going to have to figure it out the hard way, and it's going to hurt in the end. Um, so it goes in life. I find that we often have this, um, it's kind of this weird way of thinking that we need to be right. You know, it's, uh, when I think about it, it's, it's kind of a form of self-control and to protect our fragile ego. Kind of like the husband on the ladder, right? Many... And I see myself in this camp have the, the problem of listening too much to others, to the opinions of others, but never really finding out who we are. We don't learn to trust ourselves. This, too, is also a form of self-control because we fear making a mistake. And so we do that to protect our fragile ego. You see, in one hand, you have kind of superiority on one side and you have inferiority on the other. Both have the same root. Rising above or below them really depends on the standards that you set or that other people set for you. So to kind of use a metaphor, and actually I I didn't have a mirror handy. I had an old window kicking around for a long time. I think it come from Dad's. And it's good that it's dirty, illustrative purposes. And my mirror, thanks, it's a little small, I know, but it's probably a good thing if you listen to the rest of the sermon. So, very good thing. And so to use a metaphor of the window and mirrors, and Jesus used metaphors, he called himself the bread of life, as we know. Paul used the metaphor of circumcision of the heart. So a window and a mirror. A window looks out and a mirror does what? Yeah, it reflects. It reflects. Now you see, when we compare and we blame someone else or everyone else for our problems, people who don't agree with us or don't measure up to our standards, we're actually looking through that window. You know, I call it the window of blame. Then on the other side, we compare and we blame ourselves because we can never seem to measure up to other people's standards or our own standards. It's kind of the mirror of shame. Both thought patterns are wrapped up. There's a genetic component, our experiences, our environment, our feelings, 
and our sinful tendencies in nature. And, you know, I find that they both isolate us. And these are the, really, they're the two big deceptions of human relationships. Just read the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 through 4, and you'll get a picture. Eve, or Adam, blamed Eve. And then later on, they had shame about it all. So Paul's letter to the Romans. Many scholars have said that this is Paul's most profound letter because it summarizes the Old Testament so well from start to finish. All the themes are in there about the gospel. It all points to Jesus. It's Paul's longest letter as well. He wrote it while he was in Corinth. It's kind of doing a little bit of digging because I know Martin Luther was profoundly affected by this letter. And he says this about it. He says this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It's impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And John Wesley, too, had a powerful experience on May 24, 1738, when he went kind of dejected to a meeting at the Aldersgate Church And all of a sudden, his heart was strangely warmed by Jesus Christ. And he realized that he could trust in Jesus to take away his sins and trust him for his salvation. And all just because a preacher was reading Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. Both had a problem thinking that God could not forgive them. We turn to our passage But now apart from the law, so this is Romans 3, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. This is a famous verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. God presented Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So just as the just, so just as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus, where then is the boasting? Well, it's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the law, from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, and of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then cancel the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Thus far the reading of God's word. Amen, amen. 
to go back a bit, because it's hard to just read that passage and then that's it. You have to actually start in Romans 1. Don't really want to read that. Um, but Romans 1, 18 to 32, and if you skim that yourself, see that Paul describes kind of the motives and behaviors of people when they fail to see God, to acknowledge him in the creation, through the creation that he made. He said that they knew God, yet they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. And really, when they cast off restraint, it it opened a buffet to the senses. No restraint or fear, and certainly no love. Love others as you want to be treated really was not even on the radar. When I read that passage, Romans 1, 18-32, I kind of thought it almost needs a black box warning. It almost needs a rated R sticker or a not suitable for kids under 18 sticker. But in there, Paul is calling a spade a spade. In chapter 1, 18, they knew the truth about God, but they suppressed the truth. Kind of doing a bit of research, I did learn that that was often the Jews, the teachers, religious leaders often had that same list was actually out in those Jewish communities in the synagogues to describe Roman society at the time. So it's like Paul was even taking that list. But it also looks like, you know, Paul just, he he was getting angry and a switch flipped. And I often think that maybe God kind of opened up his window, his perspective on what he saw in the world. We know that God worked in unusual ways through the Apostle Paul. And kind of reading a bit deeper, I, I see, I saw that he wasn't really talking about particular sins in the church as well as he did in some of his other letters, as you see in Galatians, those foolish Galatians, or I heard a report in Chloe's household. Now he uses that word they, them, to describe the world. It's really a panorama of what happens behind closed doors and even in public view. And you just look at what's happening in Israel and Palestine and you can see just some of the brutality, the total disregard for, for human beings that are happening. If you look back further in the Old Testament, it was called out by the prophets in the Old Testament. It came to a point where shame wasn't even a word anymore. Maybe people thought ancient Rome, it progressed. You know, it got better, but it really didn't. But we think it's got a lot better here in our world today. We've progressed. We're a lot better, aren't we? I don't know. I'll leave you to debate that over lunch, whether we've uh, progressed or not. But, you know, it got me thinking about human nature. I remember an experience when I was a young teenager. I had to have been 19. When could you drink here? You're legally allowed to go to the... 19? So I was at the Cornfest dance. So it must have been 19. And, and I walked outside. I was at the Cornfest dance, just up the road here. And I saw there were two or three men were pounding another guy. Just, just kicking him. 
I was just shocked at what I was seeing. But as I thought about that later on, the biggest concern that I had was the crowd that stood around and did nothing. They didn't do a thing. It wasn't too long and the fire department came out and they pulled the guys off and, and you know the guy survived. But if they didn't, the guy would have died. He would have died. It just kind of really showed kind of the human heart and the potential just right in front of my eyes. They go back a little bit further, 70, 80 years ago, Nazi Germany. Most of the church turned a blind eye to the extermination of the Jewish people. In 2,000 years, human nature hasn't changed. It's obvious. And in those chapters 1 and 2, Paul's, Paul's pretty serious. And kind of he says, you know, God's not going to be blamed when people come before the court of heaven. All the evidence will be laid bare and there will be no excuse. I shudder when I read those verses. I shudder. Romans 1.20 In all honesty, though, in the end I have to leave this up to God and do my part as a follower of Christ. And often when I read those verses, it's almost like a, it's a thing. It's too big to absorb. Hard to believe what some people can do to other people. As I was kind of looking into it a bit further, I went back to C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and his first three or four chapters. And he really kind of builds a case that there is a moral radar, a moral compass in each and every person. It's corrupted, but it's there. Kind of gave me some understanding. But then you flip to chapter 2 in Romans. Paul takes what he said, and he turns it to the Jewish legalists, to those, the keepers of the law, those that were pointing their fingers, looking at the mirror, or looking through the window of blame. And he says, turn the mirror of shame back on yourself. Why are you criticizing, blaming and condemning others. The laws that you vehemently hold dear. You break yourself. You break yourself. So you're going to be judged by the very law that you fail to obey. And really, I think it's, it's a method of control. So they can secretly keep doing what they want to. While looking important and respectable. I often think it's kind of like a fire prevention officer who is found out to be an arsonist. It doesn't make sense. Or like a police officer who's involved in criminal activity. Or a farmer who's found planting weeds in his neighbor's field. It doesn't make sense. And I think what really upset Paul, though, what really upset God, is that they were so close to God, they knew the truth. They had the laws, the temple, the experience, the history, the exodus, the wonderful acts of God. Yet they wouldn't go in and they wouldn't let anybody else go in. That's what broke God's heart. And then Paul makes the case that all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Nobody, nobody passes God's perfect standard. Not the sinful Gentiles or the keepers of the law. If you think about it, 
Lewis also said, if you had a math equation, let's say, and you were to solve it, and you only got it partially right, it's still wrong. It's still wrong. If the calculations to, to get to the moon are, are half or three quarters right, will you get to the moon? No. It's got to be 100%. So Paul's trying to demonstrate and help people to see their need for something more. That's what the first section of the Heidelberg Catechism talks about. It talks about our misery. The attention in some ways, yes, was for the law to produce guilt because it drives us to God. You can see God's passion bubbling up within Paul, the groaning of the Spirit of God within him, as Paul talks about later. So yeah, today there is a lot of stuff that is rated R, should have a black box warning, should have a label not suitable for little children. And you know, it does creep into the church as well. I don't think anybody can deny that. I don't have a window into your heart. We don't have a window into anyone's heart. But in many ways, though, we can see the goodness of God being displayed in our lives. We can testify to what God has done in our lives. And, and most of us want to boast about Jesus. And that shows that His Spirit's within us. It's at work. So I often think, what prevents us from really having an impact in our community? Well, I often think it is that feeling of feeling superior, of comparing yourself with other people. And then even belittling yourself because we can never measure up to the standards of other people. And this all happens. It happens in everyone at different times, to different degrees, for different reasons. Christians are never free from this dilemma. And often, I think it's not even a matter of faith. Often it could be a matter of frayed emotions or trauma or experiences. And it's all to kind of, kind of protect ourselves from getting hurt. Often if, if we fear offending other people, we probably fear offending God. And if you don't mind offending other people, oftentimes it's maybe you're also offending God. You know, both views are really distorted. Whether it's a window of blame or a mirror of shame. But don't, both don't change who God is. Even writing this sermon, I could get feelings coming up within me where I think, man, this is coming together really well. I'm better than that other preacher. Then in the same moment, I, I get feelings like lots of other pastors do it a lot better and they're having a big impact and people are coming to the Lord and I start to feel bad. The window of blame and the window of shame, they're, they're both at play. We just have to learn to control it by the Spirit of God within us. And in the end, the glorious gospel is all about a new way. And the law and the prophets, they spoke about it. It's something that can't be bought, but when you accept it and you fully open it, you will give up everything to have more of it. In the end, we'll never measure up. We'll never measure up 
But when we accept the truth of who Jesus Christ is and he gets within us, it has the power to shine the light of God's glory into the window of our soul. And when fully understood, it smashes that window of always feeling that we need to blame others to feel better about ourselves. It'll smash that mirror of shame, always believing that we'll never measure up to anybody else. Because we won't. And it'll also smash that idea of thinking that God is always mad at us. And God, when it got into Martin Luther, it freed him from the guilt and despair that he had. Habakkuk, the prophet, he spoke of this even beforehand. Noah, Moses, David, the prophets, they they all lived this way. And what was it? The just shall live by faith. We're justified by God through living by faith, through simply accepting what he did. You see, God himself came through his son, Jesus Christ. He was born into the world at a particular time and place, fully God and fully human. He listened and he obeyed God perfectly because he relied on his father to guide him. Even through his sufferings and temptations. And in the end, he fulfilled the law of God because he alone can embody the law of God. But what I love about the story of God and his son Jesus is that he didn't come as a king riding on a horse, he came as a baby in a cradle, in a manger. And then he didn't come to have people serve him, but he served others. And he set an example, actually an impossible example, humanly speaking. But in the end, he was able to put those fires that lit the sacrifices and snuff them out. And people were able to take the rocks from the altars and dismantle them and use them for patio stones. And the curtain that separated God from people was torn. It was torn. Why would God do all this? Why? So we can take the crud of always having to look through the window of blame and the mirror of shame and nail it to the cross. And he covered it with his blood. The temple and the sacrifices were a shadow of this until Jesus came. And God gloriously raised him from the tomb, brought him back to his rightful place, And the scars that he still has will be witness of that. But he didn't leave us alone. He came back. The rightful judge, the lawgiver, the law keeper. And he he came into our hearts. This is the essential message of this passage. Of all of Romans. Of the Bible. It's the heart of the gospel. So how do you know? How do you know when the Spirit of God has control within you? And not that window of blame or that mirror of shame. How do you know who's winning? I think when you can recognize it. And you can confess it. Often as, as often as it takes. When you can allow and talk about it with a, a trusted Christian 
and be held accountable and be willing to pray about it and have others pray for you. When you can speak without blaming others and listen without feeling shame. I think that's when the Spirit of God is winning in our heart. You see, the good news of Jesus shows that every human being, every human being is completely fallen. But they're completely exalted because they're made in the image of God. Every person is treated as precious, but also dangerous. So as we look forward to celebrating Christmas this year, the gifts of hope, peace, joy, and love will be opened. Gifts given by sheer grace to every person who trusts in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, do you have hope? Or do you continue to have this burden of feeling fearful and anxious, fearing that God is mad at you because you don't measure up to his standards? He paid for this. And he gives his hope in return. It's a free gift and we have the privilege of sharing it with others. Do you have inner peace with Jesus? Or are you filling it with a whole lot of other stuff? Greed, money, the need to have more. Are you filling it with angers when, anger when others don't do what you want them to do? The gift of Jesus. The price Jesus paid solve this and now with the spirit of God within us we can actually confront people when needed and not get angry or resentful we can continue to love and forgive even when it doesn't benefit us Jesus paid the price so we can have this gift of peace you have joy in Jesus not happiness based on emotions or circumstances or feelings but real joy Jesus paid the price so we can have this joy it's a free gift and we have the privilege of sharing it with others who have no joy the world is the world is in desperate need of it and do you have his love his real and lasting love not lust lust only numbs but his love that heals and restores. Jesus paid the price so his pure love can be within us. It's a free gift, and we have the privilege of sharing it with others who have tried to find it in the world and were left wanting. So as Christians, we have work to do. But the law of Jesus Christ is written on our hearts. We need to climb that ladder of faith and listen to God's promises. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. So stop picking up that old window of blame or that mirror of shame. It is finished. Let go and let God and follow him where he leads you. Amen. I'll have the worship team come forward. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you so much thanks 
so much praise that you have forgiven our sins. And you not only forgiven our sins, that's one thing, but you put your very spirit, the spirit of your son within our hearts. And no matter, even if we mess up, we know that you forgive us. And we can continually turn to you, call out to you, hold each other accountable, and, uh, and know that uh, you're not mad at us. You love us. And you care for us. And for this, we give you all the, the praise and the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.